Welcome to the Living a Nordic Life podcast, where we explore a simpler, cozier and more intentional life the Nordic way. I'm Fiona McKinna, your Nordic Living Guide and founder of Living a Nordic Life, where I share all things Nordic living and show you that a Nordic life is the way to bring intentional calm and healthy habits into your own life, wherever you are in the world. Are you looking for ways to bring simplicity, coziness and calm into your life? Well, let me show you how. Visit the Living a Nordic Life website to explore how I can help you on your journey to simple, healthy and happy calm, the Nordic way. You can subscribe to the podcast right here. And if you want regular inspirational emails sent with love from Norway and straight to your inbox, don't forget to subscribe to the Living a Nordic Life newsletters. And so now let's dive into our episode. Hello and welcome to this episode. And at the time of recording this, we are in the middle of the autumn in the Nordics and we're heading into winter, but we've already had some fairly cold mornings when it's been below zero centigrade and we start to think about what we're going to wear. And it's not the same clothes that we would wear in the summer or even in the beginning of the autumn or the end of the spring. We have winter clothes and they usually centre around wool of some kind. And this time last year, in my Living a Nordic Life Facebook group, we had a bit of a conversation and a discussion about knitting because a lot of people really do love to knit. And it got me thinking about how much wool Norwegians wear. They seem to wear more than any other nation in Norway, in Europe rather. Actually, even in the world, (laughs) to be honest, you certainly see an awful lot of wool here. But there's a good reason for wearing wool and it's the weather. Norwegian winters, Nordic winters generally, are cold, with temperatures dropping well below minus 10 degrees centigrade for months at a time. It's not just winter here, it's not just a couple of weeks. We're talking a big chunk of the year. And when it's that cold, you have no choice but to be outside for periods of time. And we want to be outside because it's good for our mental and physical health. And when you're outside like that, you need a fabric that's guaranteed to keep you warm. You don't want to keep changing and you don't want to get cold and you certainly don't want to get wet and cold. Wool of different types has been used for thousands of years to keep us humans warm and sheep and goats and llamas and alpacas and yaks and whatever way before us. (laughs) Spinning wheels have been found in Viking graves, so they must have been something pretty special. And wool from certain sheep, Spelsel, which is still a breed that is very popular here in Norway, can be woven into a fabric that is so thick that an arrow can't pass through it. Imagine that. But more important to us today, even the thinnest wool will do a supreme job of keeping out the cold. Here in Norway, there are more than 14,000 sheep farms, providing annually more than 4,000 tonnes of wool. And all that is farmed on just 3% of the country's land. And probably land that wouldn't be used for anything else because sheep like um, quite harsh conditions, don't they? They like mountainsides and hillsides and very short grass and sort of scrubby areas and places where you probably wouldn't put cows and certainly where you can't get a tractor or a horse and cart back in the day to do any kind of farming. Between 20% and 30% of the wool that is sold right here 
is sold right here in Norway and it's made into yarn or already made into knitted items. So you can see that there's a huge market for it domestically. But there's more to the Norwegian love of wool than its abilities to warm us. It's a cultural identity. And I bet if you showed a lot of people a photo of a classic Norsk sweater, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about, they would instantly say Norway, or they would say the Nordics, or they might even be able to tell you what the pattern is called. And for, for generations, specific designs have been passed down, and they're very easily recognisable by their patterns and styles. But we didn't start there. We started a long way back. And a few months ago, I'm getting to it, but this is, uh, this is interesting what I have to tell you. We visited the Museum of Cultural History just outside Oslo, which we go to a lot. And if you ever go to Oslo, you really do need to go there. It's amazing. It's um, a museum where they've brought um, lots of buildings and structures from different parts of Norway, some of them which were going to be demolished, actually. They've taken them apart and they've taken them back to this museum, this open air museum, and they've rebuilt them. So they're all different parts of Norway in one place. So if you only visit Oslo or you only visit the Oslo area, if you go there, you get a little taste of all these different parts of Norway. And it's beautiful. But in amongst this, they also have some big exhibitions. And one of those was folk art. And I really wanted to go and see this particular exhibition, even though we go regularly. And it's all about regional cultures and different things that relate to cultural history. And one of those was knitting and the history of knitting and Norwegian knits and patterns and all about that. But the oldest pieces of knitting that they had there were imported and they were from the 1400s and the 1500s. Goodness knows how they stayed alive, these things. You know, you probably touched them and they fell apart, but nobody was allowed to touch them. Obviously, they were behind glass. But records show that knitted items began to be used at this time. They were things like knitted stockings, silk camisoles and mittens. The oldest pieces were knitted silk camisoles, which were only worn by the most wealthy. And this was the case in most European cultures at the time. They were worn during the day under their clothes. And as the years progressed, they became something that was worn more widely from urban areas to rural communities. So it was filtered down a little bit. But not only camisoles, stockings were also something that was knitted. And these were the largest group of knitted goods that were imported to Norway during the 1600s. But as knitting became more commonplace, so people needed something to knit with. They didn't just want to import it, they wanted to make it themselves. And there are many beautiful knitting needles that are preserved from the 1700s. They were expensive and they were usually only given as gifts. And as you can imagine, they were made out of things that were um, quite exclusive and, you know, really beautiful materials like ivory, which was, you know, popular at the time, up until not that long ago, um, bone and exotic woods. But it does show us that knitting was relatively well known in the higher levels of Norwegian society at the time. I don't know if they were actually knitting themselves. Let's hope they were. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? But up until the end of the 1800s, knitting patterns were passed around by people who knew one another. So it was quite difficult to do this sort of knitting. They had to copy knitted clothes or samples or somebody had to tell them how to do it. 
Drawn knitting patterns and pattern books weren't invented yet. They weren't a thing. Knitted wool sweaters were some of the most decorative rural clothes used in the 1800s. They were knitted in a thin wool yarn and were different and far more practical than the thin silk camisole. So we're getting to something that can be used a little bit more often and by more people. But still not something that's, you know, practical every day necessarily. In rural areas, women's sweaters were most often just one colour with perhaps a damask pattern on it. Whilst men's sweaters were knitted in two or more colours with the lower part being a solid colour and the top part being a pattern. So that's something that's a bit more familiar now, isn't it? And some of these men's sweaters were given names from local areas because nobody had made up a name. It was just something that everybody in Setterstall wore or Telemark or Finmark. But from the end of the 1800s, a cultural shift happened that had a profound effect on knitted goods. People started to take little holidays and they started to leave towns. And the people in the town started taking trips into the mountains for hiking and sports. And sports clothes began to be inspired by local rural patterns. People wanted to have something that was a reminder of where they'd been on holiday or where they'd been for the weekend, or where they'd been for the day, perhaps, if they could actually get there for the day, who knows. But they wanted to bring something back, and it was something that was a little bit exclusive, and something that maybe none of their friends or any of their peers had, so it was something quite special. And at this time, the Norsk Huflidsforening, which is the Norwegian um, Household Association, it's an association that was set up to encourage rural and local crafts and it was established in 1891 and they even opened a shop in Christiania which was the name for Oslo at the time. They sold knitted clothes from all over Norway. They quickly got onto this idea and they also hired designers, made patterns and they taught knitting classes. Unfortunately at the time sales did not boom and it was not until about the 1920s that things started to take off. Lots of books tried to get women to start knitting again. But it wasn't until a woman called Anakin Sieben Byrne, who worked for Hoosflidden, started to travel around the country collecting old knitting patterns. And that was when things started to take a different turn. She published a book in 1929, and thanks to that, knitting became popular again. From the 1930s, knitting started to follow fashion trends, which of course it would, wouldn't it, if there was a magazine and books and there was this kind of wave of trend. And people like Coco Chanel suddenly began to wear knitted things. Knitted clothes were haute couture. Knitting patterns for the Norwegian jumper were published in lots of magazines and pattern pamphlets. Some of the patterns were a little bit kind of out there, to say the least, from things like knitted bathing suits to knitted wedding dresses, can you imagine? You could probably put that on and it would be okay, wouldn't it, for a bit? And by the end of the day, it would be twice the length that it was when you started. But by the 1950s, people were knitting more than ever before. Homemade clothes were cheaper than buying them in a store. And children were taught to knit both at home and at school, keeping that knitting culture alive. The production of patterns and yarns increased and brightly coloured patterns like the Marius pattern. That's the pattern that we're most familiar with, isn't it? It's red, white and blue. 
and it's very distinctive and it became very popular. In the 1960s, mass production brought knitted clothes to everyone and prices dropped, making them much more affordable so people didn't have to make them at home. And because of this, handmade knitted items were becoming much more expensive. They were much more exclusive. But despite this, knitting was still taught in schools. It actually was. It was a class. And the popularity of traditional patterns never decreased. But... By the 1990s, knitting was no longer compulsory in schools. It was something that they didn't bother to do anymore. And so that knowledge of knitting that had been passed down was starting to be lost, especially in families where people didn't knit. I think there's very few families actually in Norway where at least somebody doesn't knit. But it was a time when things started to wane a little bit. Sad, isn't it? But... In 2012, there was this sudden surge in revival of knitting when a Norwegian TV celebrity named Daughter Skapel made a very simple sweater and her daughters were photographed in it. Suddenly, everybody wanted to knit again and lots of people discovered that they could learn via YouTube. But can we possibly talk about Norwegian knitted sweaters without mentioning the famous Marius pattern. It's a pattern that we're all so familiar with. It's blue, white and red design and it's instantly recognisable, isn't it? And it goes back to a lady called Un Soyland. She could knit before she could read. Can you believe that's amazing, isn't it? It's like people who learn to play music. They can read music before they can read. And after she'd studied some languages in England and France, she took a job as an airline stewardess. But she didn't remain a stewardess for long, as an opportunity arose for her to move to Paris and become a fashion model. That kind of fits in, doesn't it, a little bit with Coco Chanel. And in 1952, she became a model for the fashion house Hardy Amy's in London. Being a model meant a lot of time waiting around, of course. Waiting around for the next photo shoot, for her turn. And she didn't want to waste time. And so she knitted. The things she knitted became popular with all of her model friends. They were probably comfortable, weren't they? And maybe stylish as well. And she started to get orders for sweaters. Her fledgling firm, Lillen Sport, was formed in 1953. Very quickly after she started doing this. It's incredible, isn't it? Didn't waste any time at all. And Un's time as a model had given her access to exclusive sports shops and fashion journals in London and Paris. She decided to make a go of making hand-knitted items based on Norwegian traditions. So she quit her job and she went home to Norway. Because that's where the best wool is, of course. And up until this point, everything had been hand-knitted by her herself. But with so much work coming in, she decided that she would recruit. And eventually she had a thousand knitters all over Norway. And she found herself called the first Norwegian career woman is the words in inverted commas, with all these people probably knitting in their homes as well and knitting in their local areas with all of this knowledge and cultural history. And because of this, Norwegian sweaters became fashionable again and sought after, all thanks to Un Søland. In 1953, she started cooperating with a firm called Sandnes Uldvarfabrik. 
She made 25 patterns for the factory and was paid 100 krona for each pattern. That's about $10. In addition to a monthly consultant's fee. But back in 1953, that would have been quite a lot of money. This income enabled her to buy yarn wholesale and the finished items were sold by her own company, Lillen Sport. The most popular patterns were Eskimo, Marius, which we know, Nordcap and Finmark. All patterns and designs we are so familiar with today. Many of her designs were inspired by traditional knitting patterns and traditional folk dress as well because there's a lot of weaving that goes into things like boonads and a lot of different styles and patterns that are unique to certain areas. But at the same time, she introduced innovative cuts and these different colour combinations that had never been seen before. She wasn't afraid to do that. And these sweaters became so popular that they were featured in international fashion magazines. But let's talk about Marius' pattern. It was designed by Unsoyland in 1953, and since then it's been the most popular sweater pattern in Norway. The pattern itself has been sold more than five million times. Five million times. That's an awful lot, isn't it? But when she developed the pattern, she was inspired by the 1920 book, 1929 book, sorry, Noshk Strikkemonstrup, that book that we were talking about before. And in particular, Lusikufta from Setterstalen. She redesigned the elements and she built them into new and exciting combinations and presented the Marius pattern in red, white and blue, the colours of the Norwegian flag. So of course it's going to be popular here, isn't it? People are pretty patriotic here and they like to wear something that is very Norwegian, that is very recognisable. But it wasn't called the Marius pattern at the time. The slalom skier and fighter pilot Marius Eriksson had an acting part in a movie, Troll i Ord, in 1954, where the leading cast all wore Soyland sweaters. Marius was this dashing and attractive young man, dressed in his Marius sweater, and the film established the sweater as a brand name. His name, Marius. The film itself, can you believe it, created this kind of knitting hysteria. These things do, don't they? And there weren't, probably weren't very many films to choose from then, so this would have been a big thing. Everybody knitted the Marius sweater. And there was an enormous demand for yarn and patterns. And the Marius became this icon that we now know. But do you know what? I don't think that knitting hysteria has died out. In fact, it seems very much alive and well. Knitting offers a calm and comforting hobby that creates beautiful and timeless results. And they're not only enjoyed by the knitter, but also by their recipients. It's something that people like to knit and give. And we get a lot of knitted gifts. My sister-in-law is excellent at knitting things. She knits the most beautiful things. And every knitted thing that we get from her, we love and we use. And we use and use and use. <laughs> But, you know, wool is quite a hard-wearing thing, isn't it? So you can keep using it. But also they can be things that can be family heirlooms, future family heirlooms, in fact, and passed down through the generations. And so you can see that Norwegian, Norwegian knitting culture is something that is so important and so precious here. Everybody from little kids to, you know, grandmas and everybody in between does a bit of knitting of some description. It's very popular. 
and it's something that gives us a chance to enjoy something a little bit simple a simple luxury of making it and a simple luxury of giving it and receiving it as well it's really lovely and it helps us slow down and be calm so if you are thinking about knitting i urge you to get on youtube that's the place isn't it to see if you can find a tutorial and learn to knit start with something simple but it's very rewarding and great for our mental health and if you knit already well done keep that up because you're passing on something a little part of cultural history to the next generation and i'll see you in the next episode if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the living a nordic life newsletters so you can get an email when i release a new episode it's a quick and easy way to keep up with all things Nordic living. Please visit livingandnordiclife.com. You can listen to Living a Nordic Life on lots of podcast apps, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and plenty of others. If you've enjoyed the Living a Nordic Life podcast, why not leave me a rating? So that's the end of Living a Nordic Life for today, and I look forward to seeing you next time.